Hi, Church. I'm thankful for this opportunity to share on the pulpit. I had that dream since my teenage days, and that was 40 years ago. The verse I'm going to share today for this Who May Dwell series is one who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. In a nutshell, it is about leading a generous and a righteous, godly life. The word Natan, here translated as land, was actually the, most of the time used in the sense of giving as the righteous, godly life. The word Natan, here translated as land, was actually the, most of the time used in the sense of giving, as in giving to the poor. While Laka, translated as accepting the bribe, also carries the meaning of receiving a gift. Then it makes sense as to how we reimagine our giving and receiving. Pastor Andrew has framed this series beautifully, a reimagined life. This final part will call us to consider how we steward our resources well in life, and in particular towards those who are in need. The example used in this psalm is twofold, lending money without crippling interest rates that hold the person locked into a slavery of debt and they will fail to get out of. The other example concerns not accepting bribes against innocent people to pervert justice. Without interest, in the Old Testament understanding, lending was actually an act of mercy, part of a compassionate concern for the poor and for others. It is not a commercial investment. Exodus says, if you lend money to one of the many people amongst you who is needy, do not treat it as a business deed. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's clock as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that clock is only covering your neighbor's head. What else can they slip in when they, tried, when they cried out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. How about not accepting a bribe? This injunction against accepting a bribe is rooted in God's very righteous nature and is also featured in the Mosaic law. Deuteronomy 10 says, the Lord shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing amongst you, giving them food and clothing. Now, both lending with loan of unreasonable high interest, with implications of bonding, and taking a bribe to avert justice are just common practices in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament setting, as just normal way of life, especially for those in privileged and powerful positions. Yet, they are unacceptable, unjust practices in God's eyes. In this psalm, God is calling out these practices, now, shall link these principles to how we might live with one another in the contemporary and how we may commit ourselves to stewarding our resources, not only to honour God, but also to honour the most vulnerable amongst us. Stewarding our resources, which I always think of the three T's, the talent, the treasures, and time, towards the other is central to the practices of re-emergent life. 
I shall refer to some of the other OT writings, especially from the Psalms who interact with the passage today. And I'll share a fair bit of my own stories to illustrate the applications. When I have, and I do not have those resources. Now, talents. The words talents actually appear fairly commonly in the Old Testament, but it was used in another meaningful way. Talents is a common wage measurement for the more costly items. When silver or gold were the means of transaction, um, that's especially the case. Now, interestingly, talent was also mentioned in Matthews, again referring to a mon monetary measurement. The conversion rate obviously varies along the way. Suffix to note that one talent roughly equals to more than one year or even two years of wages. The servants in the parable of the loaned money were given five talents, two talents, and one talent respectively. This parable has tremendous impact in my own life because at the end of the day, I want to be commanded good and faithful servants. But I realized that I have a tendency to find myself identity based on my talents, giftings, and skills, as if what I can do is more important than who I really am. What I want to highlight is talents are entrusted. It is not our entitlement. Some years back in my career life, at one particular time point because of the circumstances and the rapid pace of the medical technology de development, I had the privilege of laying hold to a brand new surgical technology, newest in Asia and obviously in Hong Kong. So in a sense, I was, for a very brief season, the most talented person in this area throughout this city. Now, is that my talent, or do I even take it as my entitlement? As it turned out, I was entrusted not only to bring that technology to Hong Kong, which was one of the reasons I was brought back to Hong Kong to my institute. I also had the privilege and mandate to share that skill set in the training center that was established. Many of my fellow colleagues came for the training, and after picking up the technique, they do even better than I did, and they prosper on their own. Now, does that matter? The reality is that the patients benefit from the newer technology. I have benefited as I remain one of the players in the field. And after all, we have been entrusted, and that should never be our entitlement. After some time, I began to have some slight understanding of that paradox of how, on the surface, God took away some of our talents he entrusted to us, while, on the other hand, he continues to provide. I had a bad cycling accident with one finger bone fractured and the tendon of another torn. Ouch, it was painful. And there on my right hand, my dominant hand, and I was fearful that I would be knocked off for a long season as a surgeon. But there must be some humor from God. You remembered from um, the technology that I mentioned early on. In fact, with that technology, we only operate using the thumb and one other finger. Then I realized I can still operate and perform surgery. The significance of the event remains. Talents are entrusted to us. It is not our entitlement. Then some of you may ask, what if I only got so little talent? Well, let's, um, that's sometimes we just have an underestimate of the gift entrusted to us. Um, it's a common understanding. Now, which finger out of the five is most dispensable? 
some of you immediately think of the little finger since it is little. Or else you think it's the rain finger as its only function is to carry the rain. While in functional studies of the hand, it turns out that the index finger is the most dispensable. Practically most of the functionality of the hand can be compensated by the combination of thumb and then the middle finger together with the remaining fingers. The fingers in the row arrangement uh, allows a much better grip and stability. And for all you know, the little finger provides a lot of stability needed in delicate tasks, including surgery. So can we say a kind word to our little finger? Thank you, little finger. <laughs> now, then some of you may ask, what if I don't even have any talent? Many years ago, my colleague walked sadly into my room asking for prayers. He was one of the most talented surgeons that I've crossed paths with. He had developed signs highly suggestive of a major brain condition. As both of us are surgeons, we could not phantom the daunting possibility that we may lose that treasured talent, which is almost in, uh, integrated into our own life calling. To cut a very long story short, he indeed developed a debilitating brain condition and lost majority of his skill sets along the way. But God is faithful. He has continued to entrust him with many other talents of teaching, of training, and of research. He continues to contribute in the medical field, even though his focus area has changed. At a recent prayer meeting, he was sharing his current medical condition. His medicine allows him to have strength to work throughout most of the day, but towards the evening, he would become really weak. In fact, it was a struggle for him to join us for the prayer meeting that night, but what he shared was powerful. That grace of strength was literally like manna, just good and yet sufficient for the day. But the Lord continues to dispense that grace each and every day. What God has called us into, he will entrust with the necessary talents to fulfill his calling. On that note, it is even more important that while we all continue to be grateful for the gifts and talents, at the same time, do not look, long, look down on the others who are less gifted. Indeed, we are all deficient in one way or another. I may be skilled and honored in one sector, but I'm literally clueless when I enter into the commercial field or other areas of life. It is the talents of my nurse who diligently counsel my patients and care for them. It is the, my secretary who makes sure that my professional life is not chaotic. And it is my house staff who keeps the premise clean and safe for practice. They are all talented in their own unique ways. So what are some of the practical recommendations to use our talents? Number one, dare to believe that we are co-workers with God. I always, I always reminded myself that God, Christ, is in the operating room. So don't lose temper. Don't yell at my nurse. Let me share two other examples from the congregation how he blends his talents and gifting into his vocation. A social worker who's running an elderly day center is himself talented in music. So he taught his clients musical instruments, formed a band, and performed for the first time in their lifetime in public. Number three, you can enjoy yourself while you bless others. A couple who just enjoys outdoors and hiking invites their potential recruits. Many of them are graduates from mainland China, just to join them and share life as they tour Hong Kong together. 
It may be helpful how the master in the gospel dispensed his talents to his servants. How we use our talents, whether we started with one talent, two talents, or five talents, will determine whether at the end of the day, we would be called good and faithful servants, and that we are invited to his banquet to celebrate. We are all servants, but given many talents. How about treasure? Now we are all familiar. Give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. My dentist friend has a minor modification to this. Keep your treasures in heaven while I try to keep your teeth on earth. Now the Old Testament teaching on lending or even sharing wealth has a bearing not only on personal stewardship of resources, but also the communal commitments asked of God's people. The gleaning laws in the Old Testament is a case in point. Landowners are commanded not to maximize profits by harvesting all the sheaves and picking all the olives or grapes. Instead, the owner was to leave the produce in the field for the workers and the poor to take through their labor, not through charity. When the text reads that the sheaves, the olives, the graves shall be for the poor, it uses a Hebrew phrase that indicates ownership. They belong to the poor. We are mistaken if we treat all of our profits and assets as ours, as per individual. God owns our wealth. We are just a steward. The community has some claim on it. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. On the other hand, we all had our own difficult moments. During the Asian financial crisis more than 20 years ago, many businesses went bust. There was a request from some family members that we lent out our money. But I was lending out the money grudgingly. I was judgmental to my family members who faced the business crisis and made criticism at that particular time point, and that hurts. And I want to apologize to them if they are in the audience. In fact, I followed the very standard practice acceptable at the time, and I charged standard interest for another request. We may well debate how we apply the original OT prescription of lending freely of interest in this era. But the heart of the matter was that I did not have that heart of generosity when I did not know Christ. On a deeper level, it is also a matter of whether we truly believe that God is our generous provider, and we have the freedom in Him to be sincerely generous. Now that I know Christ, I would wish I had been more generous at that time, especially for family members who had helped us in big and small ways and journeyed with us through thick and thin. Sometime down the road, it was my turn that we needed someone else's generous help. In brief, we have to secure a guarantor for my son's overseas studies while he deferred his military and national service commitments. I was somewhat caught off guard when I was turned down by my friends, one after another. I can surely understand. After all, it is a huge amount of money. It turned out one other friend came to our rescue, and they were pre-believers, yet they had been generous enough to help us out. Now, a few years down the road, we were asked to be guarantors for another friend's son, and it was not difficult for me to take that up. 
Now, honestly, there is an intrinsic risk, and we need to be very judicious. What I share is that someone trusted us and bailed us out, and we are ready to trust someone else. Aren't we all entrusted by God with tons of treasures in life, even though we may not be entirely trustworthy ourselves? I believe there are innovative ways whereby we can practice generosity. There are instances whereby fellow believers have urgent needs, and we are blessed that we have the availability to help them bridge the gap. And so far, we have not been disappointed. We are glad, not so much about their paying back, but that they have honored their promises. There are other situations whereby we just need to offer ourselves as backup for fellow believers who want to pursue their dreams or studies. So we commit to certain amounts of some in the events that they need to fund. They may or may not need to draw on that, but I do hope that the fallback plan would alleviate their anxieties. In many other situations, we may just choose to bless. Some years back, when this church was still in debt with a hefty bank loan incurred during the renovation of this building, some members came forth to loan to the church without interest to settle the bank loans. We're thankful that through the faithful giving of all of you, we finally managed to settle all the debts and the loans just a few years ago. Indeed, saving our treasures in heaven by giving generously is a guaranteed high yield and secure investment, beating all funds and bonds and treasuries. I would therefore honor all those in this church who give faithfully of themselves, whether your giving is a huge or small amount. My personal commitment is to go beyond the 10% prescribed in the Old Testament. After all, in the New Testament times, Christ really gives us all his 100%. There was a season where I struggled to give. This was when I first moved into private practice. Four to five months down the road, joining the private practice, the services that I have rendered were still not paid for. So how can I give when I do not have any tangible income? I made a somewhat bold decision, or at least in my own eyes, that I would tithe based on the invoice that I charged. You may call this a pre-tax gross income, and I've not even counted out the rental and the staff cost. I must say I'm not great with numbers, but I'm confident that I'm serving a great God. And I'm not trying to bribe God, whose plan is to give us a hope and a future, regardless. I'm just celebrating the goodness of God by giving cheerfully. Nor am I congratulating myself on being able to give, but I'm thankful for the joy that I experienced when I have the privilege to partner with Him. Now, I can testify, as much as the psalmist in Psalm 37, which can be read as a manifesto elaborating from Psalm 15, our original passage. I was young, and now I'm old. Yet, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. I would also like to take this opportunity to honor our fellow Filipino sisters. Their life situations dictate that they do not have money, they do not have much to give in terms of money sense. 
yet they choose their, to give their treasured rest day to serve. And they serve so cheerfully. Even during a brief emergence from the COVID lockdown where we could gather physically in church. Sisters, we honor all of you and may God continue to bless you and your household in your hometown. The COVID has a tremendous impact medically and economically. I do not want to belittle to your unique and difficult situations. But my, encourage, my encouragement is that you give faithfully and you continue to be generous towards the others around you. We all have different ways of blessing others in these difficult seasons. Many of you have shared and distributed masks. You may also avail yourself to chat with someone else or to give them a personal message of encouragement. Or you can patronize a struggling restaurant, which we'll do in a short while. Now, one of my uh, nurse assistants have a drastic drop of family income, and I chose to bless her with a small cash token of appreciation. That should be the economic scale of the kingdom. To give is more blessed than to receive. Or as it was said, we made a living by what we get, but we made a life by what we give. How about time? I want to share on time, which is the most precious entity or commodity for me. Psalm 90 is, in my opinion, the best reflection on time. A thousand years in your sight, like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. How we manage this enormous tension between the intersection of life eternal and life temporal. How do we best understand time? Is time, is time our enemy or our friend? I will share some scary moments in my career life, so please hang on tight. I was in a situation where my patient had a sudden major blood loss during surgery, and his life is critically at risk. I was fairly senior at the time, yet I still panicked. Time is preciously precious and makes the difference between life and death. It was actually my junior colleague who encouraged me, if you panic, you lose the patient. I gathered my courage and managed to contain the situation, earning precious time to seek further help. So once the immediate chaos is brought under control, time becomes a great benefit to be well used to set up the proper resources, instruments, and extra expertise to tackle the situation. Now, years down the road, I became the chief and had to bail out others when they went into trouble. Time is indeed our biggest, biggest enemy and our biggest friend. I'll share a few books that I love, and they may help us plan our time resource. Augsburg talked about his childhood memories of striving to win his Monopoly game, which I'm sure most of us can relate to. We bought properties, the whole streets, belt houses, and converged them into hotels. We had every chance turned into our advantages. Everybody else lost. Even the banker got bankrupt, and I won. But when the game is over, it all goes back to the box. 
so while we may save treasures on earth, our days will go and will one day be no more. Indeed, the trouble with life is that it does not have a rewind button. Some 15 years ago, when I passed through my 40th birthday, I realized that I probably would have fewer days in my future than what I had for my past. So I made a process whereby Bob Bilford coined the term half-time. I made some commitments to adjust my transit into the second half of my life that included, that included setting a cap to my professional practice, pursuing the study of God, and serving in various capacities. While life circumstances does not mean that we can all transit smoothly all the time, it helps if we do have a game plan. And part of the rule of the game is what I called the 20 miles a day principle that was penned by Jim Collins when he wrote the book Great by Choice. In life, we often want to dash off, yet we fail because we are inconsistent with the time stretch entrusted to us. Remember, our commitment to follow Christ is a lifelong endurance race. A sprinter does not win this race. The psalmist also recognized that my times is in your hands. Here, times in Hebrew is used in the sense of resource. Time is the precious resource that God entrusted us with, and we shall have to be accountable for it. Oh Lord, when shall I leave this world? I do not know, and I hope it will not be too soon. But I feel so unprepared to face you. I feel that by letting me live a little bit longer, you reveal your patience. You give me yet another chance to convert myself, more time to purify my heart. Time is your gift to me. Four years ago, while I was continuing my studies in the seminary, working happily in my profession, and seeing fruits in the ministry, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Yes, the dreaded leukemia. And the doctor became the patient. One sleepless night, I was searching through the literature about my own expected survival. And it dawned on me that my expected lifespan is going to be much shorter than I had ever planned for myself. The timeline that I might see the fruits of my labor. I was distraught as my times is not in my hands. I thought I had been generous in my talents and treasures to God and towards others. And I wished I had that generosity of time rewarded to me, not even for my own sake, but for the sake of others. So as I read this psalm all over again, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times is in your hands. Deliver me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. I begin to find my resolve. Now, of course, additional stress came about as there was a business offer to sell the entire clinic practice and be listed. 
while all the original partners would then become employees of the new entity. What was enticing was the initial cash offering and the future shares. Yet what was undesirable was the long-term commitment to maintain a high level of practice just to keep the level of earning for the benefit of the company. I thought to myself, I'm running out of time. I should not bother to invest my life into a business entity for a so-called better future. But then I will have to forfeit my next few years, which could well be my best years. So I declined the offer. If there's a finite time that God is entrusting to me, I will want to give my best to him. By the grace of God, I completed my treatment. I finished my studies in the seminary, and I continued my serving role in the eldership and in the Chinese community. In fact, we are excited to have launched the Chinese teaching program called the Tree of Life. Uh, we are having a transition series and a family transformation series. And I kept my promise to God. I keep my practice to a minimal, maintainable degree so that I can avail myself. Time is our enemy, but it's one that sharpens us and keeps us alert to make best use of our entrusted time. Time is also our friend, whereby God entrusts us to plan it out and live beautifully for Him, where indeed we may bear fruits in seasons, the very theme of the anchor psalm, Psalm 1. Just be reminded, the economics of the kingdom is beyond our understanding. We are talking about 30 times, 60 times, or even 100 times with our investment in Him. I love the Bible, uh, the Message Bible translation of Romans 12. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Can we also say embracing what God gives us the talent, the treasure, the time, and our being is the best thing we can do for him and for others. As we draw this sermon series, who may dwell to a close, let's not forget that rather than our striving to lead a legalistic life so that we may dwell in a certain place, a certain achievement milestone, Psalm 90 reminds us God himself is our dwelling place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So what next? Well, you can create an infantry of what God has entrusted to you in terms of talents, treasure, and time. Prayer. You should commit yourself in prayers, the desires of your heart. And invest. Let us put into action. Dare to believe that in due time, it will be 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. Shall we pray? Lord, we want to thank you because you have entrusted us so much. Help us embrace 
how you want us to live generously and be committed to the community of fellow believers and beyond. Lord, we thank you for the talents that you have entrusted us. Help us to do everything unto our fellow brothers and sisters with great love, that it may become a beautiful, a beautiful thing unto you. Lord, thank you for providing, especially in a time such as this. Help us to be sensitive to the very needs of the others around us so that we can be a blessing in whatever small ways that we may be able to. Help us to give faithfully unto you as you have always been faithful to us. Lord, our time is in your hands. Help us make good sense of every treasured moment that you have entrusted to us. Help us bless others. Spending time to care for others, encourage others, pray for others, and work diligently for others. Lord, we desire to be your good and faithful servant, and we thank you in advance that you may bear fruit in life 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. <laughs>